What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Logos Podcast. This is Max. This is Joey. And on today's episode, we've got some heat content coming up. But before we get to that content, if you're new to our platform, welcome. We've been here expecting you. We've been expecting you. It, it is that time. We've been expecting you. It, it is. It is. Yes. It was a while ago that you've been here. Yeah. Welcome to our platform. Um, we're two seminarians of the Roman Catholic Church, which means we're studying to be Catholic priests. We're not there yet. We get to wear the bling, and so <laughs> get the drip. Get the drip on us one time. Um, but uh, we have studied philosophy philosophy formally. Yep. Uh, we're studying theology currently, and so a lot of our conversations revolve around those two topics, bringing in different yeah. kind of cultural references, such as movies, music, art. What else have we done? Yeah, basically, we're just trying to introduce you, our listeners, to the. Um the beauty and richness of the spiritual and intellectual tradition of the Catholic Church. So if you're new to Logos Podcast, that's what we're about, and we're glad you're here. Thank you. Maybe before we get into this episode, this would be a good time to remind our faithful listeners or- And our newcomers. Maybe even our newcomers that um, if you like Logos Podcast, if you want us to keep doing what we're doing, yep. we certainly do, you can support us by going to patreon.com slash Logos Podcast. You can become- a monthly donor or a daily donor, if if you want, if I that, think I think actually you can just become a oh, monthly donor. Okay, never mind, it's not an option. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, just any amount that you'd be willing to su- uh, give us to support our project would be greatly appreciated. You can also rate our show on YouTube and Apple Podcasts and stuff, Spotify, wherever that might come. Can you rate things on YouTube? Uh, yes, you can rate things on. Well, I guess you can. You can like or dislike. Yeah, but you can. As of recently, Spotify updated their app to where you can rate. Rate us. Rate us. If, if it's a good rating. And then <laughs> I guess writing a review for us too would be yeah. super helpful. Share, like, comment, so actually, subscribe. This is the type of jargon you hear at the beginning of every podcast, but this would actually be super helpful for us. It is. If you would do There's it. There's a reason so, why everybody does it, you know? Yeah. Um, so thank you in advance for doing that. Um, we have a TikTok page. We have a website. Instagram. All of which will be linked to yeah. probably the video description. Below. And... Um, we're glad you're here. We're praying for you. We're always praying for our listeners. And um, yeah, wanted to keep bringing you guys more good content. So today we got a fun one. We do got a fun one. One that's been very fruitful for me. I don't know about you. Same. Jay. Yeah. Right. And it's timely too. It is given the season that we're in, in the church's liturgical scale, calendar here, mm-hmm. schedule, um, if you will. Um, we're going to be talking about our Virgen de Guadalupe. Nuestra Señora. La Morenita, the little brown-skinned skin woman. Is that really? Yeah, little brown-skinned lady, I I've should say. I've never heard that. Uh, yeah, La Morenita. Title. Yeah. Yeah, Our Lady of Guadalupe, for you English speakers out there. <laughs> and the, yeah. um, she's, she's, she's very kind of um, popular in Mexican culture, Yeah, but she is Our Lady of the Americas. Yeah, the patroness of the Americas. Patroness, patroness right. And so, um, and so she is impact, impactful and um, important for us as here in yeah. the United States of Americans. Yeah. And she's a big deal. Um, yeah. So I guess I didn't even think about this when we were preparing this episode, but it would be helpful to clarify before we start, yeah. like what is a Marian apparition, right? Mm. So like, okay, Mary lived in Nazareth 2000 years ago. She's the yep. mother of Jesus Christ and mother of mm-hmm. God, the new Eve, right? The, Theotokos. The Theotokos. Like yeah. she's a big deal. Um, because God's into doing really cool stuff, he's um, allowed the Blessed Mother to appear at different times in history. So there, I mean, throughout the church's history, um, on many different occasions, in many different places. Now, importantly, we don't believe that Mary's coming to reveal anything new or nope. anything that was not, you know, completely revealed in the coming of her son, Jesus Christ, right? When Mary comes, she is just re-articulating typically the gospel as it was revealed in Jesus Christ. Or reaffirming certain points that in contention. Or reaffirming certain points of it based on certain historical times and circumstances, Mm -hmm. right? And also as a disclaimer, if you're Catholic and you're like trying to be faithful to the church, these apparitions are not a part of the public deposit of faith. So you don't, you're not bound to believe in them. Yeah. But the church has with the approved apparitions of Mary. So like Our Lady of Fatima, mm-hmm. Our Lady of Lourdes, Our Lady of Cabejo, like Cabejo, yeah. yeah, places like this. I mean, they're all over the place. Um, Chestahova. Chestahova, Our Lady of Good Help in Wisconsin. Yeah, that's right. United States. Um, yeah. The church has investigated them like thoroughly and proposed them to you in order to help you in your faith life. So, yeah. I mean, they're, 
you are allowed to believe in them. And I certainly tend to believe in most of the ones that I encounter. Um, and Our Lady of Guadalupe, especially, I think we'll start talking about the evidence for why it's reasonable to believe in it, yeah. even though it's not essential for your salvation to believe sure. in the apparitions yeah. that took place. Good qualification there. Yeah. Um, and I think part of the episode will also kind of include Juan Diego, which is Juan a big Diego. big part of the, the story here. Juan Dieguito. You know, my, my brother, when he was in religious life for a time, he was going to take that name. Really? Yeah, Brother Juan Diego. That's that was his, that, w- that would have been his choice. You know, He wouldn't have had the full kind of choice to make it, but yeah. he was going to write it in. So anyway, that's cool. So Juan Diego, we'll talk today's, about- Today's his feast day. We're recording this on, on his, his feast, feast day. day. That's right. Um, so whether you receive it or not on his feast day, pray to him. He's a yeah, saint. He's as a of, saint. As of 2002, not even that long Recently. ago. Right? Well, um, he was probably a saint before that. I should say he was formally <laughs> made a saint. He was canonized, as we would say, in the church in 2002 by Pope John Paul II. Yeah. Um, what was going to say? We'll also bring in some history of the uh, Aztec and uh, Amer Amer Indians, American Indians, Amery Indians uh, history into yeah. the episode, and kind of talk about some of the context and some of the things that were happening historically for an apparition to have the effect that it did and does still mm-hmm. today um, mm-hmm. in this world. Um, and so, mi gente. Ojalá que te guste. I hope you like it, and I hope that our information is uh, reliable, structured, and uh, brings you to a closer encounter with our Lord as we talk about some of these things. Um, so, yeah. What is I, the first thing? Yeah. I was going to ask you first, how's your day going? That's lame. Um, my my day is going very well. So, we just got done with classes in seminary. Uh, we have finals week, but we don't have any classes. We just have your exams. Yeah, finals week is great. It is. Seminary. It is. Like, it, like, it's so kind of pumped and mm-hmm. doing all kinds of stuff. It's kind of a break almost to have yeah. finals um, for us. So, that's good. My family is well. I've spoken good. to them recently. Yeah, man, all things are coming to a, to a nice resolution in a couple of weeks. I'll be in Israel. We're going to Israel. We're going to Israel. You're going to? I forget. So, dude, so here's the thing. I've been like so busy. I haven't even had time to really even think about our I trip. Know, have you? Know, has that been no, your experience? Yeah, so the time will come and I'm not, I was going to prepare for it, but now I'm just going to go in and just experience and see what our Lord has in store for me there. Yeah. I've been uh, praying that it'd be a life-changing experience sure. for me, you know? Yeah. Um, Are you? That's good. I'm good. We're actually, funny, you, met, you know, timely, we're doing this episode. We're getting ready at the parish I'm at to celebrate Our Lady of Guadalupe. Nice. So big Hispanic community at, at, at my parish, a lot of parishioners from from mexico certainly but then um you know she's the patroness of the americas at large mm-hmm. like we said so uh, we've got this upcoming sunday the 11th because the feast is on december 12th every year but we're celebrating on the 11th so we've got processions celebrations food, food so much food uh singing las, las mañanitas las posadas. las posadas yeah so mm-hmm. it's going to be it's going to be awesome. Las Posadas. We got to stop that, dude. Okay, we got to stop. We got to put that. We got to kill that. Okay, never bring it back again. Um, I don't know. I'm not convinced we need to kill it. Okay. okay. All right. So speaking of Our Lady of Guadalupe, Nuestra Señora, yeah. let's talk about her. Um, we should just maybe start by just telling the story. Right? Yeah, that's a good way. And it's hard to really appreciate the full significance of the story without getting a little bit of the historical context for the time period we're talking about what's going on yeah. globally in Mexico. Um, and I guess what's relevant to start. So the apparitions of our lady took place in 1531 mm-hmm. that fast, you know, rewind a few years to 1519. Mm-hmm. That's when the Spanish conquistadors came from Spain. Famously Hernan Cortes, Hernan Cortes, right? Yeah. So he was leading this small band, relatively yeah. small band of um, colonizers of conquistadors who were coming to, yeah, search out for to acquire land for the crown of Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there were also priests with them who were Franciscan who, priests, who particularly to evangelize. Like mm-hmm. that was their they were on mission, right? Yeah. Um, and certainly, um, certainly, even the conquistadors would have identified themselves, branded themselves as Christian, right? They were bringing the Catholicity Christian, of Spain, Catholic civilization. Yeah. That was kind of part of their whole their whole deal. So. Hernan Cortez, you know, brings his men. Actually, I heard an incredible story. There's a small group. They, they, they arrive on, you know, the eastern shore of what is now Mexico. And they're looking into the jungle. And there's a relatively small group of them. And they've done some recons. So they've seen, they've even encountered some villages that they're going to have to go up against. Yeah. And they're outnumbered, even though they have things like horses and stuff that the natives don't. But they're outnumbered. And there's like 10 ships who, that have been docked on the uh or like anchored down on the shore of this beach mm-hmm. and 
Hernan Cortez in order to make sure that his men are resolved to like that they're not scared that they're not going to flee and like retreat back home to Spain that they're actually willing to go face all this danger that they're going to face he sank nine of the ships holy crap he sank nine of the ships and he looked at his men he was like all right anyone who wants to leave get on that one ship and go now and of course you're a soldier you're a spanish conquistador you're not going to like be the one guy you're a devout catholic too right so yeah. ideally you're 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 right so now so this it's obviously we don't want to hyper hyper hyperbolize hyperbole hyperboleize this you know thing. what he's trying to say all right you don't want to exaggerate this saying say they were all good faithful yeah. warriors but the idea is that they're catholic and they're supporting the crown which right. is catholic right know? exactly so no one got on right. that 10th ship and he sunk that too yeah so he literally burned all their bridges, cut them off. So that's that's a crazy story. Yeah, that it is. Um, Imagine that, dude. You're seeing like your one voyage just like ripped to shreds, sailed like, across well, the Atlantic. Here I have a little knife on me and, yeah. a, and a mediocre gun. I got a nice looking horse, but you know. Okay, so the Aztecs. I mean, um, the Spanish conquistadors. They they encounter the Aztec civilization right. when they get in here, right? And this is a relatively. I mean, they're surprised at how sophisticated the civilization yep. is, right? Um, but how different it is. But very different. Right? right. So so this is, you know, kind of developing, if you will, Europe. This is Spain and it's kind of um yeah, and in high society at the time when when the kind of conquista conquistas were even possible with all the resources necessary to go to a different land yeah. and, and get on a boat and uh and make these voyages. And so here here they come, you know, Catholics um civilized, you know, to this uh, other culture that is civilized, you know, yeah. such as Aztecs. But the religion is different. The way of life is very different. Very different way of life. Um, I, I read that, um, you know, whereas like the Greeks and Western civilization developed mathematics fairly early on, mm -hmm. like even, you know, thousands of years after that, the Aztecs had not yet developed like advanced mathematics yet at this mm -hmm. point, even though they did have things like cities and waterways sure. and commerce. and But their cities were organized around temples, temples. these pyramid-shaped temples. And this is something that the... Spanish encountered and were really pretty horrified by is the the religion of the Aztecs. So yeah, it was it was pretty it was pagan. Obviously, it was not Christian. Yeah, and it was um, it was pantheistic, right? Was in one it? sense. So right, so pantheistic is like God kind of expresses himself through like nature. Yeah, God creation. Is kind of like is nature. Yeah, God too, like right? Yeah. And so um, so they tried to appease nature for them, kind of God right. through offering you know, atonement or sacrifices yeah. for the expiations or the, the sins or the, what the transgressions they committed against nature or whatever by offering people. Yeah. Human sacrifice. So, yeah, human sacrifice. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's one of the things that here the Catholics would have been like, what? Right. You know, show up in there, right. Yeah. And it's not like one or two, like I'm not saying one or two is justified, but it's like, it's, I mean, it's thousands. I mean, it's, it's by, you know, by the, by the swarm, they were killing these people. Like in a day. Right. Sometimes up to yeah. like 20,000 exactly. in one day. And so, and you know, you're coming in as a, you know, civilized Spaniard. Right. And you see these people with, you know, tattoos and bones to their noses and ears and you know yelling all this kind of stuff excruciating screams from the person being sacrificed mm -hmm. with the heart heart still pulsing in your hand mm -hmm. and what are you supposed to do you know you have a crucifix and a little poor franciscan friar with you yeah to your left you know and you're supposed to support your men with these hundreds of people doing this crazy so like you know you're coming into this imagery here of people sacrificing human sacrifice going on to appease god who manifests himself through nature on the top of these pyramid temples um which was for them as you said kind of the pinnacle of society these temples everything else revolved around temples mm -hmm. which that temples themselves being kind of the epicenter of society is not new to, to no. this culture right so that's yeah. the case with the jewish people that's the case with even the israelites and you see even when like in the old testament you know the center right. of worship is the place is that the, the people yeah but people i mean gathered. yeah so like just to give our listeners a little bit of an idea as to and this is partly to combat the narrative like the spanish con we're we're not trying to defend everything the Spanish conquistadors not did, by any right? means. We'll, we'll talk about some things about we're not, but often a paint a picture is painted of history that these big mean Spanish conquistadors came in and smoking their cigars right and just yeah. like destroyed this completely innocent harmless civilization. Well, that's actually I mean they encountered some pretty disturbing stuff. So these religious feasts mm -hmm. on which you know people would be you know brought up to the top of these pyramid temples and like black-robed, long-haired priests who were chanting and doing dances and mm -hmm. singing, they would um, they would just slaughter these victims, right? They would eat them. 
they would skin them alive. They would rip out their hearts and, mm. and then just discard the bodies down the temple. I mean, I mean, it was for the sake of like, uh, of appeasing their sins, but also like just to, for God, quote unquote, to produce rain, yeah, to to, to take away famine, right? Exactly. To crops, if, the, if the desired right. effect didn't come about quickly, that got more and more frenzied yeah. and more and more violent and more and more just gnarly. So I mean, it was like, it was nasty. I mean, mm-hmm. and and I think so. One of the interesting parts about this society is their their the most important deity in their religion was. I don't even know. Can you present the Q? The Q one. It starts with a Q. Oh, Kits, uh, Quetzalcoatl. I don't know. It's a serpent god. I'm sorry. The serpent, the serpent god, god. Right. So for it was me, feminine, right? Um, it, was, it was a feminine. I think this one was masculine. Okay. Okay. But and there was some connection, and we'll talk about this. There was a sim- symbolic connection between the serpent god and also the moon. So those two symbols were important together. But to me, I, I see this pagan civilization offering thousands and thousands of human sacrifices to the serpent god. I certainly read into that, and other people have too, historians have too, demonic, you know, demonic inter- inter- sure. intervention in this society, right? Because that is, I mean, to be sacrificing human lives like that, that is, that's diabolical. Yeah, and and um, part of the reason we'll talk about, like, ultimately the the Spanish crown or in Catholicity had the effect it did is because the people within the, the own culture kind of started recognizing that what the Christians propose as worship is vastly different yeah. and much more accessible mm-hmm. and possible. And life-giving. And life-giving. Um, but another thing too is, I, I guess this is the one I was talking about, is the the mightiest god of Aztec religion was, um, or sorry, one of the deities of the Aztec religion was a great mother goddess. Yeah. Right? Tonantzin. Yeah. Tonantzin. And um, the temple uh, stood at the summit, and this is this is very important, right? Right. Because um, what what started happening is that people would offer these sacrifices, particular places oriented to I don't know whatever, maybe nice scenery or whatever. But one of them was on um, a small hill named Tepeyac. Tepeyac. Right. So you're going to hear that name again, but that's yeah. where at one point in the Aztec history, that's where a temple to the mother goddess was, where mm-hmm. they would offer sacrifices and, to the mother goddess. And the imagery of this mother goddess was a serpent. Yeah. Right, which again, when we, when we talk about the she had like itself. a head made up of serpents mm. and stuff. It was um, yeah, pretty gnarly. Okay, so basically, what happens? I mean, long summer. You can actually read about some of this history. It's really fascinating. I, I got a couple books here, but yeah, we, there's all kinds of yeah. I learned so much. So Cortez and his men, his small group of men, you know, rally across the Mexican terrain towards Mexico City, which is the capital. Sure, and um, they're conquering these various villages and tribes of of Aztec peoples. And not only conquering them, but then also like evangelizing them because they got priests with them and they're starting to proclaim the gospel to them. Mm. And this people is starting to hear about this religion that's, it's not about sacrificing humans in order to appease the gods. It's about God becoming a human, sacrificing himself in order to save the people. And peace. And peace and love. And love. And hope. Charity. Right. So they're yeah. actually, what, what begins to happen is the natives begin to join with Cortez and his men in marching across the Mexican terrain mm-hmm. um, against their own emperor, mm-hmm. who is eventually, after there's, I mean, again, the history is pretty cool to read, but I won't get into the details, who's eventually um, conquered by, by Cortez and his men. They're successful in taking the capital city of Mexico, yeah. in dethroning Montezuma the second. He's the he was the emperor at the time, the Aztec emperor, and uh, they destroy the the principal temple to the big serpent god, and they build a Catholic church in sure. its place, right? And then the conquistadors and the priests with them um, set about trying to a establish you know Spanish civilization there, but also trying to evangelize the people. Yeah, and th- that's one of the weird things going on here. So I- I'm going to use here, for example, uh, Hernan Cortes, yeah. who's kind of the permanent leader and kind of the name everybody's aware of in these con- con- right. conquistas. Um, when he was, for example, like he had conquered and, and beat Montezuma II, mm-hmm. right, this great chief leader of the Aztec people, one of the things he was known for doing was while he's kind of um, ramsacking villages and taking over different places and setting up kind of Christian worship and trying to evangelize them and trying to show them about engineering and whatever else the case may be, kind of trying to yeah. um, uh, integrate them into the kind of more developed Spaniard culture. Mm-hmm. Um, he would also evangelize <laughs> these leaders, but at the same time, he was also kind of a womanizer. Yeah, you know, he was kind of a violent man, kind of a kind of a. 
he had some vices, you know, like drinking and, and kind of was kind of a violent dude. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there was this real relate, weird rela- relationship with the gospel that he had in trying to bring these leaders to encounter the same truth. He found, at least to mm-hmm. some extent, in his life fruitful and life giving, whether it was a power struggle or a, something he actually viewed as as valuable. Yeah. Um, is is and that's that's like the difficult part here going on. It's like. Yeah. Um, and that is kind of a more outside of the, the realm of this episode. Like that's kind of the moral question. Like, what do you? How do right. you go about? How do you that? assess this? How do you integrate other cultures and mm-hmm. pagan cultures into yeah. a more Christian? Like that's that's a kind of a vast conversation to be had. But anyways, it's that kind of paradox going on here. Right. Like, so what, we're certainly yeah. not trying to canonize Hernan Cortez by any means, or any of the Spanish conquistadors, yeah. or endorsing everything they did. Right. Yeah. But it's easy to see how they themselves probably considered themselves as like bringing the light. I mean, even in their own kind of barbaric conquering behavior, they probably saw themselves as bringing the light to this civilization of death and darkness Yeah, and did contribute to um, the spread of the gospel, at least and, in a small- And so as you said earlier, like this is not so black and white. Right. Like it's the Aztecs are not- it's messy. Exactly. It's, yeah. it's ugly. It's bloody. I mean, literally. Yeah, literally. Uh, you know, and, and so it's like, there's like, the Aztecs aren't completely innocent. They're also not completely guilty and, and vice versa. The Spanish are not completely innocent, but they're also not completely guilty. And right. Right. That, yes. that can be traced. So that's important. Um, discussing this. Okay. So good. Okay. So that's kind of the background. What's, what's been going on yeah. in this area around, you know, the time of leading up hey, to these can apparitions. I, can I also say something yeah, else I think please. is important is as- and we briefly mentioned it, but as like um as this is all kind of unfolding and Montezuma and the kind of the, the larger portion of the Aztec people had been now conquered, um, there's a lot of things also going on in the Aztec culture itself, mm. um, which is famine. Um yeah. their 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 sacrifice isn't as effective as it once was. Right. Um to the degree that the degree sacrifices ever became affected. so rap- yeah exactly like and and you know and that, like all of a sudden hey that's my uncle that hey that's also my sister you killed hey that's also my mom you're sacrificing you know my dad yeah. hey that's like all of a sudden the population is getting dis- disassembled anyways disassembled mm-hmm. anyways and kind of the structure of the civilization that was once maybe more prominent in the Mexican culture or I should say at the time Aztec people's culture um, is kind of also suffering. Right, yeah. and we use here Aztec kind of broadly speaking because there's many tribes within the Aztec. Yeah, we're ge- I mean we're generalizing. We're obviously generalizing sure. here, but um, I think it's important to keep in mind that many of these tribes are already suffering, and so like part of the apparition of our Blessed Mother comes at a very timely time. Very Over, timely time, yeah. Very timely time, and that's as Joey mentioned earlier. That's the kind of real kind of meat of this. Like our Blessed Mother and our Blessed Lord always kind of show us about themselves that perfect time mm-hmm. in history. Also, I yeah. guess it makes sense to note that 1500, the, the Protestant Reformation is going on over in Europe, right? Yeah. So 1517, Martin Luther posts his 95 theses to the to the door of the cathedral, yeah. right? So, I mean, so people are leaving the Catholic Church in droves over in Europe. Okay, so now the Spanish conquistadors have conquered uh, Montezuma, and they set about trying to evangelize, and they're having a lot of trouble doing it because Mojo. this paganism, this culture of death yeah. is so deeply rooted in this Aztec people. One person, however, that they are successful in converting to the Christian faith is a uh, poor peasant farmer and his wife named Juan Diego. San Juan Diego for you, sir. San Juan Diego. Actually, that wasn't his name before, but that's the name he took when he he was baptized. That's a good point. That's a good point, yeah. Right, so that's his Christian name. Juan Diego was born in 1474. Yeah. And it was in 1525 that he and his wife, Maria Lucia, Maria were ba- Lucia. Were baptized. Classic name, Maria. Um, so it's pretty cool because, I mean, they were they were very devout by all accounts. Yeah. They would, I mean, for us, this is crazy. For these people, I think it was pretty standard, but they would walk 15 miles one way to mass. You don't do that? I wish I did. I wish I had to walk 15 miles. I mean, I don't, but I'd feel much more manly if I did. I don't so, think so. So dude. on Sundays, they would walk, they'd wake up, walk 15 miles. You know, they'd wake up super early to get to mass, receive catechesis, Christian instruction, and they'd make the journey home at the end of the day. Go to mass. Go to mass. Yeah. So, I mean, they were very devout people, very, um, you know, poor farming, farming people. Yeah. Right? Actually, one of, the, one of the people that, that, um, one of the guys that baptized, um, I had, had it here earlier, uh, that baptized Juan Diego was, um, Father Peter Legand, one of the first Franciscan missionaries to have landed in the New World. Oh, that's actually, right. interestingly enough, and so, so again, Juan Diego had Catholicity in his in his veins. Yeah, he became became Catholic, and yeah. then um, tragically, 
1529, his wife, Maria Lucia, she died. And they, they didn't have any children. No, she died childless. So Juan Diego, here he is. He's you know an older guy. So he moves actually to live closer to his uncle, Juan Bernardino. Bernard, Mer, Bernardino. Bernardino. It's one of my good buddies' uh, last names. So I wonder if he's related to him. Bernardino. Yeah. Um, Alejandro. Who was, who, his uncle was older and his health wasn't great. So Juan wanted to be closer to him to kind of be able to care for his yeah. needs. Um, but he continued to make his, you know, his weekly trek to and from mass, you know, those 15 miles. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was in 1531 that stuff started to get a little crazy. So. Uh, yeah. And so I think this is where we kind of takes off. So the first apparition, there's, there's three in the matter of four days? Three and over the course of four uh, days. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Three in the, over the course of four days. So the first one happens um, on Saturday, December 9th, 1531. Um, which, which apparently at that time, yeah, was the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Yes. So yeah. Juan was going to celebrate, to, to assist at Mass mm-hmm. for our late, like in honor of Our Lady, right? Sure. So that's kind of cool. It is. And um, at this at this point in time, Juan is about 57 years old. Yeah. That's a, kind of the calculation here. Um, and so he would rise early in the morning, go to Mass, kind of yeah. take his daily trek. And what happens? Yeah, so he's going to Mass this day. And as he's getting to this little hill, which he has to cross all the time, yeah. Tep- Tepeyac Hill, where that old temple of the mother goddess used to stand. Yeah. Um, he's kind of- Donantzin or whatever. Yeah that, yeah, that that old mother goddess with the serpent head. Um, he, you know, Tepeyac Hill is about 130 feet high and he um, senses this, well, first he hears music actually coming yeah, from the top right. of the hill. Yeah. Like enchanting music. Mm-hmm. And then he looks up and he sees this light and so he's drawn like in, intuitively up this hill and he hears a voice calling down to him saying, uh, Juanito, Juan Dieguito, like Juan Dieguito. Diminutive, diminutive, right? This little, yeah. like my little one. My little like, one. Um, so you're saying when like, like La Morenita, it's like the little brown skinned woman. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, um, so he goes up the hill and he encounters this incredibly breathtakingly beautiful woman kind of radiating light super young who appears to be yeah like somewhere like 14 years old or something like that Mm -hmm. is is the guess and um she says again um juanito my son where are you going and uh she doesn't say it in english though no so she's gonna be speaking one language (laughs) which at that time is not even spanish it's it's the yeah tribal language that he would have with some spanish i guess yeah intermixing at the time but yes um and he says to this Lady, he says, noble lady, I'm on my way to church to hear mass. And then she says this beautiful quote that Juan Diego would have remembered and recounted many, many times for the rest of his life. Could, would, do you want to read this sure, quote from sure. Our Lady? I mean, for me, when I read these, I, I, these give me the chills. I mean, to listen to these words. Give you the, uh, the gooseys. The gooseys. The gooseys. Get in the gooseys. <laughs> <laughs> so our blessed mother, uh, or sorry, I should say, he uh, responds, no, no, sorry. Our blessed mother says to Juan Diego, no, for certain dearest of my sons, that I am the perfect and perpetual Virgin Mary, mother of the true God, through whom everything lives, the Lord of all things, who is the master of heaven and earth. I ardently desire to to be built here for me where I will show and offer all my love, um, a temple, my compassion, my help, and my protection to the people. I am your merciful mother, the mother of all who live united in this land, and of all mankind and of all those who love me. I'll, I'll, all those who cry to me, of those who have co- confidence in me, here I will hear their weeping and their sorrows and will remedy and alleviate their sufferings, necessities, and misfortunes. Therefore, in order to realize my intentions, go to the house of the Bishop of Mexico City. And tell him that I sent you and that it is my desire to have a temple built here. Tell him all that you have seen and heard. Be assured that I will be very grateful and will reward you for doing diligently what I have asked of you. Now that you have heard my words, my son, go and do everything as best you can. I thought that was interesting the way it ended. As best you can. Yeah. Because right? he was a poor guy and he right. knew that. He fell to his knees as soon as he saw her because he was like, yeah. I don't know, I don't know who, who am I? I'm taking care of my uncle. My mm-hmm. wife's dead. Just let me get to just let yeah. me get to church, you know, kind of thing. Um, yeah. He set off one day. One Dieguito had. I mean, his he encounter. was overwhelmed by 
yeah. the, the majesty of the woman he had just encountered. What do you do? Because you still have several miles to go, and you're like, uh... Start running. I don't know. Like put your hands in your, in your pockets, and you're just like, uh, you know? Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine. Yeah. Um, and so we're going to be reading some of these. I just want to make a disclaimer. That's a beautiful quote from Our Lady. Some people might be, you know, modern listeners might be listening to this and feel immediately skeptical of like, okay, how do we know that she said all that, right? Yeah. Like, first of all, it's helpful to keep in context the fact that, in mind, the fact that um, at this point in history, like the Aztecs were not really like a literary people. So most of their religious and, um, you know, their religious traditions would have been passed down orally, right? And we fail to appreciate the degree to which people were able to memorize and transmit long chunks of text orally, yeah. right? That's The, I mean, the printing press hadn't existed right, in exactly. this new so, world yet. And th- I mean, this is the case with scripture that was passed down orally for many, many mm-hmm. years before it was finally cons- uh, you know, put down in writing. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the first defense I would make of a quote like this being authentic. And secondly, if the mother of God appeared to you and you... I'm pretty sure it would be seared into your mind. I mean, the, you can remember lyrics the word, for the love of God. Exactly. You know, like, why couldn't you remember a paragraph yeah. of a quote from And as we'll God. hear, Juan Diego ended up spending the rest of his life telling and retelling the story yeah. of this encounter. So True. he and those who knew him and those who would have encountered, um, you know, the events that took place here, these words would have been yeah. pretty well known. Sure. So that's kind of how we have access to them. But anyway, Juan gets this message and he sets off to Mexico City to go to this bishop, probably feeling pretty overwhelmed, but also kind of, um, unequipped, yeah. you know, to, you know, present himself to the Bishop, Bishop, um, Zumarraga. Is that how you would pronounce that? Uh, Zumarraga. Zumarraga. Yeah. Um, so amazingly one goes to the Bishop's residence and actually knocks on the door and the servants come and they let him in <laughs> and, um, he gets admitted into the Bishop's residence yeah. and he's made to wait for like hours until the Bishop's actually available to come and yeah. speak with him. And finally the Bishop does. And one kind of tries to kind of like pour out. Well, the I, think story. The first, I think the first time is he's trying to tell him a story, and the bishop's like, "Come back when I have more time." That's right. That's right. right. He's that's like, "Come happened. back when I have more time," um, and he'd pray about one story. Yeah. Right? Right. And so he sent off. He's, so he he sent one day. Yeah. And, and here he's one like tearing up, like trying to tell him his encounter. Right. He's like, "No, I don't have time. Come back later." Yeah. Let and I th- I think by all accounts it wasn't dismissive. The bishop legitimately had things yeah, to exactly. do, and it was like he yeah. was pretty gracious with one, sure. but sure. was like, "Yeah, I actually don't have time for this right now." So. Juan leaves and he goes back to Tepeyac Hill mm-hmm. in order to disappointedly tell Our Lady. So he he goes back and he she's there waiting for him. Yeah, um, which is so cool. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> he says to her, he approaches her and he says, "I beg you, noble lady, entrust this message to someone of importance, someone well known and respected, so that your wish will be accomplished. For I am only a lowly peasant." Right. So here's this. Yeah. I think this is very important. I think right? this is very important. Yeah. Juan is like, "I'm poor. I'm nobody." Why are you giving me this message? How am I going to be credible? How, like, who, I don't have any rank. Me? Exactly. You know, this is a relatively new civilization that's building all these stuff. Who am I living in the, the mountains yeah. with my uncle who's dying, just trying to go to mass? What can I do to help this? And I think me personally, I I think this is one of the things that makes Juanitos, Juan Dieguitos, I should say, um, testimony so credible is the fact of the fact that he is kind of an illiterate, poor peasant. He's nobody. He's nobody. Why? What does he benefit from doing this? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you could say, oh, he's just doing this to make money. That's not a very good argument because and he, he didn't, he didn't want money. Or no, he didn't money. want, he didn't want any of that. Um, in fact, he was telling her mother, I don't want this. He kind of reminds me of a prophet. You know, yeah. the prophets oftentimes, one of the, one of the ways, you know, a prophet is a prophet, for example, in the old Testament is that they would say, no, I'm not worthy. Yeah. Yeah. No, Lord, don't choose me. Right. No, I'm a sinner. No, I don't exactly. need this. I don't want this. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that's how you can trust the testimony of somebody that, yeah. no, in fact, this mission should be entrusted to them precisely because they're quote unquote incapable in the world's eyes. But here's this, this, this man who's able to, you know, in his poverty, in his simplicity, accept yeah. the will of God and carry it forth to somebody like the Bishop of Zumarraga. Again, or somebody like Bishop Zumarraga, who was a former Bishop of Spain. Yeah. who holds a high rank in society. Right, right. Right. And and here's this interesting play again, interplay in our mother's command between kind of the powerful and the simple coming yeah. together here. You know what I'm saying? There's, there's this kind of beautiful narrative that's that's under under underlining all of this. And so to keep in mind that the poor can always tell us about God in a very credible way, even though sometimes they're easily dismissed or seen as incoherent. Yeah, um, and I'm thinking of St. Paul. God, cho- he said in 1 Corinthians, I think, or maybe 2 Corinthians, God chose the 
weak of the world to shame the strong and the foolish of the world to shame the wise, right? Mm -hmm. This is what God, God chooses the most unlikely vessels in order to make known his glory all the more. Like Mother Teresa, you know, I'm thinking like- That's been my experience even as a, like a lowly seminarian, dude. Yeah. You know, Mother Teresa, yeah, exactly. But I mean, you, I mean, I'm not comparing myself to Mother Teresa by any extreme, you know, I'm much taller than her, you know, Um, but- Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm glad you got it. I was was just, I was thinking something else and then I heard you and then I was like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, no, but like, like, uh, at the same time though, like there's this kind of, I don't know if I can do this mission, Lord, right. you know, and you read the life of the saints, someone like Mother Teresa or any of the saints, and you're like, I, I can't. Yeah. How could, it's how, impossible. Yeah. How do you want me to do this? Right. You think this person is going to listen to me? And that's exactly when, that's where God wants you. On your knees. Exactly. Yeah. So that's cool. Okay. So this is what Juan Diego says. I'm nobody. And Our Lady says to him, listen to me, my dearest son, and understand that I have many servants and messengers whom I could charge with the delivery of my message, but it is altogether necessary that you should be the one to undertake this mission. And that it be through your mediation and assistance that my wish should be accomplished. Mm. I urge you to go to the bishop again tomorrow. Tell him in my name and make him fully understand my disposition that he should undertake the erection of the temple for which I ask. And repeat to him that it is I in person, the ever Virgin Mary, the mother of God who sends you. Right. So this is what Mary wants. She wants a temple built on this hill, Tepeyac, right? Mm. In which she's going to bring comfort to the sorrowing and health to the sick, right? So... Um, this is the message. So, okay, Juan, he's like, okay. So he's kind of re recharged, pumped. reanimated, pumped up by this assurance of our lady. So he goes home for the night and he wakes up early the next day. So this is December 10th, Sunday, December 10th, 1531. Boom. He wakes up early to make that 15 mile journey back to Mexico Nothing city like it. to present himself again to the Bishop. And, um, amazingly, you know, the servants see him again and they're pretty surprised that this guy's back the next day. But he is, and so they let him in again after you know some some confrontation. This is when he was waiting for hours, right? This, this is when he's waiting for hours, hours for the bishop yeah. to come. And I think it was really cold, so he was just kind yeah. of sitting there in the cold. <laughs> well, um, and finally, the bishop, the servants notify the bishop, hey, there's a, this guy here who's been waiting for you for hours. You want to come talk to him? And so the bishop comes out and listens to him, and he hears him out. So he hears Juan's whole story out. Um, and you know, Juan is so humble and so earnest that Bishop Zumarraga is yeah. pretty moved. Impressed. He's impressed by his what seems to be, you know, an authentic mm-hmm. message, but he's um, he's not totally convinced, right? He's he needs more, and so he asks Juan to bring some sort of sign, some sort of evidence that this message is truly from Our Lady. Yep. Um, and to present it, to bring it back to him at a later date and present him with this evidence, and then he'll consider building this temple that Juan is requesting be built. Unless you think. You have this narrative, as many like to paint through popular media or whatever, that like the Catholic Church just takes these quote unquote miracles because we think that they're going to build credibility for the church off of face value. You're wrong. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. it's not the way the church assesses um, these these kind of large miraculous things that she holds to her life. Like oftentimes when you're talking about even like Eucharistic miracles or this particular example, there's skepticism, there's doubt, there's required evidence a long time. For example, in 2002, it wasn't until 2002 that, you know, Juan Diego was canonized canonized because like there's a whole process to studying the history, to knowing the people, the kind of the, the devotion that revolves around these things. Yeah. It's not, or you know, taking even more so like the credibility of our Lord's existence, like the historical Jesus, if you will, here it's like, it's not just one people seeing one person seeing this or saying, Hey, this is the greatest thing in the world. It's yeah. Mul- multitudes of people's testimony who you can kind of see yeah. as something credible. That's not necessarily scientifically evidential all the time. Although this particular event does have some history and science right. backing it, but, um, but always keeping in mind that. So. Yeah. The church is reasonable and rational and wants credibility for the things that she is going to declare to be authentic. So, um, so the bishop sends Juan away, asking him to bring back a sign. And Juan goes back to our to Tepeyac, the hill at Tepeyac. And there our lady is um, waiting for him. And he he reports this to her. And he says, you know, the bishop asked me for a sign. He didn't he didn't fully believe me, so I need to take him a sign. And then our lady responds, You want to read that one? This one's good. <laughs> I think this they're all good. I mean, it's our lady speaking. Thank you for giving me the good one. Yeah. You know. That is very well, my little son. I love how she calls him my little son. My little son. She says the same thing to you and to me and to my little daughter, to her daughters. I mean, she is a loving mother. Okay, sorry, go ahead. That is very well, my little son. Their return here tomorrow, and you will have the sign he has requested. Then he will believe and no longer doubt or suspect you. 
Mark my words well, my little son. I shall richly reward you for all the worry, work, and trouble you have undertaken only on my behalf. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, on my behalf. So I type these pretty quick. Okay. You may go home now, tomorrow. I'll be waiting here for you. Okay, so Juan is assured that if he comes back the next day, December 11th, Mm -hmm. he'll get the sign that he'll be able to take to the bishop. But a problem happens. He goes home and his uncle is really, really sick. And he's on the point of death. So much so that he's like, Juan Diguito, I need you to go grab a priest. Well, first one, he spends that whole night of December 10th. And then the whole next day, December 11th, at his uncle's bedside. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't go back. To see our lady, even though she said, "Hey, come back tomorrow," so that was probably a mistake. But um, that also shows his humility. Like, why? Like, if he was interested in something, why wouldn't he just do? Like, right. He's like, "No, I have this." And you know, he's probably thinking to himself, "Am I crazy? I've been envisioning these things. Here's my uncle's dying, and I'm about to abandon him to go to the like." He's probably like really concerned for his exactly. uncle, you know. Yeah. So he stays with his uncle Juan Bernardino mm-hmm. the whole day. Well done. Thank you. And he. Um, so he doesn't go back to Our Lady. And then the next day, so this is now Monday, December 12th, or Tuesday, December 12th. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the day, right? This is the big day that um, his uncle is about to die. And so he, he says, one, I need you to go to Mexico City to get the priest. Yeah, I'm, I'm, this is my last troll. I need, can, I need to confess my sins and receive the last rites. Mm-hmm. And so Juan Diego sets off again, 15 mile journey back the other way. And he's, he's going, he's making haste and he gets to Tepeyac Hill <laughs> and he's like, Okay, I'm not going up there because if I go up there, she's going to be there waiting for me, and I got to figure this. I got to help my uncle first. I don't have time for this. Well, it's crazy going to the bishop again right now. The mother of God is just not right now. Okay, so he kind of skirts around the side of the hill, thinking that he would escape her notice. What a fool! (laughs) Silly goose. She comes. She comes down, and you know she he. Again, every it's amazing to read the descriptions of yeah. these. I mean, every time he encounters her, it's, it's an overwhelming experience of light and like this beautiful fragrance. <laughs> so I just like thinking, music. I just thinking about like how he may have acted. You know, he's like looking at the air. He's like, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, okay, I got I'm going to go this way. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, like hiding. You know, he's like, oh, no, she's going to be there. And he's like walking. He's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, oh there she is. Yeah. So she comes down and she's like, what's the matter, my little son? Where are you going? And he says to her, he explains to her the situation. He's like, my uncle's dying. I'll I'll come back tomorrow. I swear to finish the mission that you've entrusted me with, but I got to help my uncle first. And then this is what our lady says to him. And this is actually, this is the big quote. I mean, um, this is very moving to me every time I read it. So she says, listen and let it penetrate your heart, my dear little son. Do not be troubled or weighed down with grief. Do not fear any illness or vexation, anxiety or pain. Am I not here? I who am your mother? Are you not under my shadow and protection? Am I not your fountain of life? Are you not in the folds of my mantle? In the crossing of my arms? Is there anything else you need? Do not let the illness of your uncle worry you because he is not going to die of his sickness. At this very moment, he is cured. So those are beautiful, beautiful yeah. words of Our Lady. I mean, I th- in prayer, those come to me a lot. Am I not here? Yeah. I'm not your mother. And one day Gito had apologized to our blessed mother before kind of she, she kind of oh, responded to right. him, right? And so she, she he had kind of told her like, hey, look, I'm sorry I didn't come the day you told me. I'm sorry I'm trying to avoid yeah. you, uh, but my uncle's dying and I need to find a priest to give him the last rites. And I wonder if there was also a kind of level of fear with him too. He's like, I don't want to, yeah. Do this. And she's like, what's wrong with you? Like, let me, like, let yeah. me help you. And guess what? Your uncle's okay. And do what I asked you to do. Yeah. You know? And in fact, that's what happened, right? So he goes back home and his uncle is safe and sound. Well, that was after this. So he, he says, okay. And then he goes to the Bishop's house. Now, after it's all, oh. after it's all finished up, after everything kind of comes to pass and he eventually returns home, he does find that yes, his uncle is totally cured. Yeah. And that our lady had appeared to his uncle. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And um, yeah. so that was a big deal. But after Our Lady says this to him, he's like, okay, I trust you. So he sets off back to the bishop's house sure. on the mission. And he find, I mean, he goes and he's banging on the doors and he, they, the, you know, the servants are not happy to see this crazy guy back. But, <laughs> oh, wait, no, I forgot about the most important part. Our Lady gives him the sign first because he's got to take the sign back to how the could, how, how could you forget that? How did you I don't just, know. How did you just go over that story? Dude? We're kind of everywhere right now. Okay. Yeah, we are, but that's okay. Let's yeah. keep trugging away. So- there's that beautiful quote from Our Lady. She says, don't worry about your uncle. I got you. I got you. Go up to the top of Tepeyac Hill, mm-hmm. and there you'll see the sign to take to Bishop. Yeah. 
So Juan climbs up the top of that hill, and there in the frozen and rocky soil yeah. are Castilian roses. Rosas Castellanes. Yeah. Castellanes. Which not only do not grow in Mexico, not only do they could they not have grown in that rocky soil, sure, but also they were the favorite type of rose of Bishop Zumarraga, mm-hmm. who came from Spain. Yep. Right. So they're they're there. There's this overwhelming fragrance of Which is almost a miracle in itself. Yeah, right? It is a miracle in itself. Right? I mean that's a miracle. So the, the the ground is frozen. Yeah. Right. It's infertile. Okay. Um and there's a rose that's native to Spain growing in this particular area, which our blessed mother had pointed out to him yeah. that would be there, was asked to then put the roses in his mantle. Yeah, so he gathers them up into his tilma. Right? Til, tilma, I should say, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's a word. Um, and that that tilma itself um, is kind of indicative of his poverty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so a tilma is like a garment. Yeah, it's like, like a little garment. Traditional Aztec garment sure. made of like the fibers from a cactus plant or yeah, something like that. Exactly. Um, and so it's, it's a very kind of, it shows you the level of his poverty, uh, you know, for, for example, one of the, there was a few practical things that the Tilma was kind of used for. It could be used as a, like a, uh, like a washcloth. It could be used as like a head, head, um, gear or head covering when it was raining outside. It could mm-hmm. be used as a bag to store things in, or in this case, as a kind of a storage toad, unit, yeah, a toad yeah. of a thing. Um, it could also be used as like a blanket or a pillow when you were walking 15 miles to church or to the city or to wherever yeah. to take a nap or whatever, you know? Um, and so that kind of is indicative of who, who he was yeah. as a person. It's a good sign, right? Yeah. It's like, what? That's the best so sign. he, he gathers up these Castilian roses in, in his tilma and he, and he brings them back to our lady. And now she's like, okay, take those to the Bishop and show him the roses. And that will be the sign. Now don't, she says, don't open the tilma until you get there. Mm-hmm. Right. Until you get there and tell him the story, tell him everything that you just experienced yeah. and then open the tilma. And so then that's what Juan does. He runs back to the bishop's place. Mm. Now the servants greet him. They're frustrated to see this crazy guy back, but he's got this tilma. And I think he actually gets admitted in for this third time well, yeah. by giving them a sneak peek of yeah. the roses. Yeah. Right. He's like, look at that. And so there's like, the servants are like, okay, we'll Bypass, go get the bishop. Yeah, right? yeah. So he gets in and he, <laughs> he's, you know, tearfully and overwhelmingly recounting this whole story to the bishop. And he says, okay, bishop, here it is. Here's the sign that you asked for. And he opens up his tilma. The Castilian roses fall to the to the floor, and they smell beautiful. So that yeah. everyone's like overwhelmed by their fragrance. But then, in that very moment, what happens? There's a painting that appears on the tilma, a painting of our Blessed Mother's presence, her humility, her s- image, her sacred her, image, and 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 the image carries with it so much significance. Yeah, for the people that were there before the Spanish came and the people after. Yeah. Um, and, and that the, the presence of our blessed mother appeared on the tilma showing the Bishop now, right. in fact, this was her presence this was from her. This this command was her and that her presence was with Juan Diego and the people of Mexico now. Yeah. So there's right? this, yeah, exactly. This miraculous image shows up on the tilma that Juan Diego wasn't even expecting. Mm-hmm. He thought the miracle was the roses. Yeah. <laughs> and then he looks down and he's like, Oh, sh-. <laughs> like, look at that. So the, apparently the bishop and his attendants, they fall to their knees in adoration of this image, Mm -hmm. um, overwhelmed with the majesty of it, with the beauty of it. And eventually after they rise from their knees, you know, he embraces Juan Diego apologizes for having Mm -hmm. doubted him. And, um, immediately, um, orders a small chapel to be built Mm -hmm. on the site of Tepeyac Hill, where our lady had desired a temple to be built. And, where the serpent god and where the serpent god had um, the serpent goddess, the mother goddess had formerly resided, right? Yeah. So now there's this now the now the true mother of God, not just this pagan mother goddess. Sure. The true mother of God is here, and she has a dwelling place here. And um, so initially they just built this little chapel, but the bishop immediately starts planning to erect a, a mass, like yeah. a big, beautiful, glorious Basilica. church, mm-hmm. in order to honor Our Lady's wishes. Meanwhile. Um, so there's this glorious, um, you know, revelation of this image. Everyone comes to realize that it's an authentic manifestation of our lady. And, um, eventually this, this little chapel is built. Juan Diego actually spends the rest of his life living in this little chapel on Tepeyac Hill with the image, with the tilma there. 
and pilgrims would come to venerate it and to adore it and to be cured of their illnesses in front of it. And he would spend, he spent the rest of his life guarding it, being the custody custodian of it, yeah. telling the story to pilgrims who came. Yep. He went, look, we already mentioned, he went back to his uncle who was totally cured and who had himself received an apparition from our lady. Right. And, um, and so that's kind of the story of events as they occurred. But now we should talk about the image itself, right? Sure. Like the tilma. Yeah. Um, because it's most of, I'm sure you've seen the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe somewhere in your life, in popular culture, on a t-shirt somewhere. Um, if you haven't, maybe I'm sure we'll put it right yeah. here on the video, yeah. but you can also look it up. It's a beautiful, beautiful image. Apparently nothing is like seeing it in real life. Apparently That's seeing it in real life is like, it's the, like the colors far and, and away. The yeah. colors are amazing. And, yeah. um, but a couple, do you want to describe some of the symbolism in the Tilma first, before we get sure. into some of the miraculous aspects of yeah. the scientifically inexplicable features of the Tilma? Yeah. So, well, at first I would like to talk about like some of the significance that like that the Aztec people would have known and been aware of in seeing the image itself. Yeah. Um, so, uh, one of the things this, this author that I'm referring to here is Paul, Paul Bade or bad, um, this Ignatius Press released a book. I'll put a link to it below. One of the things he writes in his book, from a from a historian's perspective, is that um, the Amerindians, the cross of the Madonna's brooch, was a clear reference to the conquerors, the conquerors god. The Aztecs had always been sensitive to signs in the sky and apparitions in the heavens. Their language and writing consisted of such signs. For them, the rays protecting her shoulders, so again, the image will show the rays protecting her shoulders, were uh, a meteor, a comet cutting across the heavens. Mm. That the virgin blocked the sun was a clear sign that there would no longer be human sacrifices to the sun. To the sun god, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. To whom they had in past sacrificed whole tribes even. In the royal um, turquoise, they identify a queen. Yeah, that's a, her. So the color of Mary's mantle in this image is like a turquoise. It's mm -hmm. like a greenish blue, which was the color of royalty in the Aztec culture. Yeah, right. So she's clearly a queen, even though she bore no crown. By the flowers, they understood that all creation was her clothing, and that in her bestarred mantle, they understood that her outer garments was a whole cosmos. Nonetheless, it was obvious to them that she could not be a goddess since she herself was clearly adoring someone. She has her hands exactly. folded in, in prayer. prayer position. Her head is bent. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So God, she's not God. Yeah. Gods do not join their hands like this woman and goddesses do not bow their heads with such humility. Yeah. The image rapidly began to speak to them without a single word being uttered. They could even dance out the, the rhythm of the race surrounding the mother of God. She would heal their sorrows. It's amazing. It's, it, is, it is amazing. I mean, it's it's like as it's as if God knows the human heart. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I mean, what's crazy about is this woman, Our Lady, appeared in this form in this image specifically in the this historical context and to evangelize this Aztec people. Yes. And everything about this sacred image was meant to speak to them and to instruct them about the reality of God and Christianity, right? Here she is, the queen of heaven and earth, but who's not herself God, who's bowing her head in reverence to the mighty one, mm -hmm. right? She because she's the mother of God. She's yeah. she's wearing a there's a black um band around her waist yeah. signifying that she's with child, she's, with child. Right? she's pregnant. Yeah. The the black cross on the brooch of her necklace mm -hmm. is the same as the black cross that came on the helmets and the banners of the Spanish conquistadors yep. signifying their religion, right? She's Apparently, stepping on a serpent. She's stepping on a moon, on the moon, which is, was equated yeah. with the serpent God, yeah. right? So she's crushing the serpent. The temple is at the, at the place that the old mother goddess's temple used to be. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. It's amazing. Yeah, and there's there's so much to go into. I mean, I, the, her eyes, I hear we'll presence. I'm going to talk a little there, bit about. I mean, her there's eyes. all kinds of stuff kind of attached to this that um, I mean, really is is is, is miraculous. I mean, in, in, wonderful. Yeah. In in the truest sense of the word. Yeah. Full of wonder. So a couple more cool things about the Tilma, which still exists. It's still in Mexico City in the Basilica. Interesting. Right? Also, that for many years it wasn't until like 1930 or 40 that they put it in a casing. Exactly. Like, okay. So this, so this is great. So this, this, the material out of which the Tilma yeah. is made, this Ayate fiber yeah. should, should, does decompose and decay after 20 years. Yeah. yeah it's like 20, span, 30 years. Yeah. It's 20 years. Yeah. This Tilma 
was taken to and put in this chapel uncovered, this small, damp, dark chapel with candles and incense and literally millions of pilgrims over the next (laughs) many, many years coming in, touching it, embracing it, kissing it, and it's untouched. It, I mean, it shows no signs of decay, almost no signs of decay. So the fact that it still exists in and of itself is scientifically inexplicable. I mean, think about it. You walk in this chapel and there's this tilma, just cloth, kind of nailed to a wall yeah. that millions of people have touched. I mean, anything even strong, even these curtains, right, that are made from, you know, nicer material, cloth material. They're going to decay. They're going to decay after a certain amount of usage. But here's a steel mine that should not be in existence, yeah. even if not used for 20 years. I know. You know I mean? Yeah. Even if it yeah. were just by, but not to mention the, yeah. the, um, the dangerous environments to which it was exposed. It also, throughout the course of its history, over the 500 years, it has had um, nitric acid spilled on it mm-hmm. by a scientist who was doing tests on it, which should have completely like burned it up. But it was just, it left like a small watermark also, on the tail. Also, in 1950, I want to say 1920, early, early 1900s, the anti-Catholic regime. In the Cristeros. In the Cristeros. 1921, it yeah, was. Yeah, okay. 1921. So in the, in the um, okay, so in the former uh, half of the 19th, of the 20th century, you have somebody put in dynamite in one of the rose vases that was attributed to her and blew up. Blew up hey, the blew chapel. Up, blew up the chapel, the altar, everything is wrecked. All the marble is gone. And the tilma and was the just tilma behind was just a piece chilling. of glass, just a normal piece sheet of glass, and it wasn't, it was, and it was just chilling. And the only thing it had is like a little stain, but nothing significant. And and still, if you go to the chapel here, one of the one of the crosses that was that was there is kind of just bent. They have it there to yeah. show the disfigurement yeah. of the, the chapel there. So again, these are kind of things you're like, what? I don't I don't <laughs> yeah. get it, you know? So it sh- the tilma itself should have rotted centuries ago. It should not have have kind of withstood all of the 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 environments to which it's been exposed over the yep. course of the, like so scientists in and of themselves like that in and of itself is enough to say okay something unex- scientifically unexplainable is going on here and then they, they get into more i mean it's a very it's been subjected to many scientific tests right sure, many and one of the things that they've discovered in the early 1900s is that in the eyes mm-hmm. of our lady right first of all the eyes on the tilma respond to light in the same way that a real life, that a real eye does. What did they call it? The, uh, I saw it here. So here I have a book that also references, uh, many doctors. It's, uh, ophthalmologist. Yeah. Dr. Javier Torreya. He said, he calls it the Samsung Porkinje effect. Sorry, I probably butchered that word, but it's the fact that it's kind of reflective yeah. and, and it corresponds to like the way an eye actually works. Right. And so, yeah. I mean, and they found, um, deep within her cornea, the image of a man, mm. the face of yeah. a bearded man. Um, this was in like the 1950s. Yeah. And um, the the kind of the, um, what do you call it? The distortion and the place of the image in her cornea perfectly resembles mm-hmm. the distortion and the place of a normal image in a cornea if you were to like take a photograph of a human eye, which no one could have known about in 1530 to have like painted it. Also, so... And and that face has been identified with contemporary paintings of Juan Diego as Juan Diego, so it's like Our Lady took a snapshot of Juan Diego, and it he's there in her eyes, which respond to light even to this day as though they're living eyes. And then infrared photography and technology has revealed that the that they actually don't know how the color was produced on the tilma no. itself, like. There's no brush strokes underneath. It's definitely certainly not paint. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no sketch of the image underneath that, so that someone might have, you know, fabricated this or painted it themselves. And the contours of the tilma, so like the fabrics and like the blemishes on the tilma, are perfectly woven in and incorporated into the facial features of Our Lady. So like her lip, for example, it's like ray, like the tilma is like raised where her lip is in a perfect way that a <laughs> lip would be raised. So it's just, it's, it's the crazy, it's unbelievable. Yeah. There's also, I mean, so yeah, I mean, there's like, there's physicists and, and you know, uh, Adolfo Rosco, a researcher and physicist of the National University of Mexico who has kind of spoken about it. There's a 1921, this, this example, it was 1921. Well done. Mm-hmm. The bomb blew up. Nothing happened. 1979. All right. Not even that long ago. Um, Philip Callahan, 
he can't be Mexican. There's no way this guy can be Mexican. But anyways, he's an accomplished biologist and author of uh, numerous scientific books. He studied the infrared, infrared, uh, infrared uh, photographic kind of science behind it. Tests of the Tilma could not figure out what, what was going on yeah. here. We had the uh, ophthalmologist that we just mentioned. We had an engineer in 1981, Peruvian engineer, who had spoken about kind of the, the light rays and the resolution and, and all this stuff and had imaged it and had pinpointed all the, kind of the, 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 the different kind of ultraviolet light that was hitting it. They don't know how to recreate it or anything like that in 1998 uh there was the in the secret in her in, in her eyes that you'd mm-hmm. mentioned um, astronomy this is one of the things that i found interesting yeah there's this an is astronomist good. um in december 22nd in 1981 um which is not what we would say kind of exactly contemporary but it's contemporary enough to where it matters um there was uh they concluded that the stars that were in the tilma were on, consistent on her cloak yeah. were consistent with um the sky above Mexico City on the day of the apparition, <laughs> on the day that the apparition occurred, with the constellations. Exactly. So the constellation on her on her cloak matched the day uh, that they are said to to have uh, portrayed. I mean, and I think I've heard this. I'm I I I'd have to fact check it, but the the constellation that is over top of her womb, yeah, is the one of the lion. So oh it's yeah, like the heard, lion yeah, of yeah, Judah, yeah. right? Yeah. Jesus, like himself. I that somewhere too. What did I read that? Yeah. Um. So. The image is supernatural. Sure. I mean, it's <laughs> almost scientifically proven to be supernatural. Sure. And because of it, and because of its supposed just like unbelievable beauty, um, like we said, millions and millions of people immediately came to become, ven- came to venerate it. And the whole country of Mexico still stands as one of the largest populated Catholic it transformed that culture forever. Yeah, country in the world. Like, it still remains that. So, we mentioned yeah. the Protestant Reformation was going on over in Europe. Mm-hmm. Supposedly, <clears throat> millions of, you know, I think supposedly nine million people left the church mm-hmm. in, um, oh, yeah, right. throughout the course of the Protestant Reformation. So, here in Mexico, after the apparition of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and because of that apparition, you know, the Franciscans had been struggling to evangelize after this apparition and then subsequent number of years. Nine million baptisms. Nine million. An baptisms. eye for an eye. Exactly. It's amazing, like how God and His yeah. providence was filling up what was being emptied over in Europe. And um, I mean, there's stories of priests doing like 10, 12, 14,000 baptisms in yeah. a single day. People just coming in droves to be baptized to encounter the gospel all through the inspiration and motherly mediation of. Nuestra Señora de Guadalupe of Our Lady. And um, yeah, I guess um, I actually don't have much longer. I have to go here in a few minutes. So why, Hi, why, don't we, um, why don't we finish up by just talking about, I'm curious to you, you know, growing yeah. up in the, as a Chicano, um, Chicano. Uh, what has your experience of the devotion to Our Lady been? It's certainly been, I know, kind of secularized in some senses in Mexico. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So can you just talk about that? And then maybe a final word of encouragement to our listeners to cultivate a devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe. Uh, So, right. So like any any devotion in the church, I think it can be taken to extremes. Yeah. Um, Either people don't care about it enough. Right. Or maybe people care about it too much, place too much emphasis to where it kind of is detrimental to the faith of others who aren't so familiar with kind of the Catholic spirituality. And so you have that within Hispanic community. So my exposure to our Blessed Mother actually has been pretty wholesome. Um, Las Mañanitas, you know, Posadas, uh, when time comes around. So like this season, I mean, my family would always do all kinds of stuff. Novenas to our Blessed Mother. We have a, you know, a painting of her in my house, a replica at least. We have a painting. I mean, I, I can't think of a family, maybe one or two Hispanic families that I, that I'm, you know, that I'm, that you see, that's either family or friends, um, of ours that doesn't have, you know, our La Morenita uh, yeah. up in the wall somewhere, like you said, on a t-shirt, right. on their keychain, yeah. uh, a tattoo, <laughs> yeah. uh, on their walls, wherever. Like there's always our blessed mother, La Morenita, Nuestra Virgencita is always somewhere present. Um, my devotion to her, through my family has always been consistent mm-hmm. and I mean, she's a big part of our life. You know, she's, it's not like, yeah, I mean, she's, we, yeah. you know, there's all kinds of devotions uh, to our Blessed Mother. Uh, but the one that I think more people, most people that go to church um, throughout these days are aware of is like Las Mañanitas and the devotion, yeah. the processions, yep. with our image. But I will also kind of caution against making her an idol because she herself would not have done that. And in no. fact, in the image itself, 
as to the Aztecs. Points beyond itself. Points beyond itself. Points to our Lord Jesus Christ um, and the Trinity, ultimately. Yeah. Um, and so our Blessed Mother, even even in her eyes, reflects her son, mm-hmm. you know, and points us to her son. And so always beautiful to keep these devotions within our hearts. Piety is a gift of God. Devotions are a gift from God for us, for man to encounter him. Right. And so obviously Nostra Vigencita needs to be kind of at the forefront, at least a way of engaging God, but it's not engaging God himself. And I think that as, uh, as Catholics, as Christians who even are not Catholic, we can look to our blessed mother, the mother of God, mm-hmm. right. As the one who um, loves you, takes care of you, protects you, wishes the best for you, and ultimately wants your salvation through um, being the mediator for her son. And I think um, as a Hispanic, I've been fortunate to kind of have fostered um, this particular Mary devotion into yeah. into our, and I know many cultures have different Marian devotions, um, but por mi gente, un rosario, una ave maria, um, just thanking a blessed mother for your own mother, right? That's one of the things I want to talk about earlier, I think as I kind of, Full circle here. Oh, yeah. You mentioned this. In the Hispanic culture, the mother plays a very important role. I mean, the father does too. But the mother has a particular role mm-hmm. um, of strength, of fidelity, of constancy. And um, in my own life, I would I would venture to say that it's been my um, Virgencita um, that has been taking care of my mother, my grandmother a lot. And so when I th- kind of throughout these days that I've kind of devoted to um, I always thank her for my own mother and my yeah. own grandmother because I know that they pray to her basically every day. Yeah. You know, there are very few days go by that they're not acclaiming her name um, for me, for her children, for her husband, for her mm-hmm. extended family, close family. And so as kind of these days come about, these Christmas days come about, we remember the coming of our blessed Lord, Jesus Christ, and also the importance of our mother. And I think it's timely. He always comes to us through her. Always. Um, so to Jesus through Mary, right? And, yeah. and that's kind of that's kind of kind of the message I'll leave. You know, as a Hispanic, <clears throat> as a Hispanic American, I'm I'm privileged to have this devotion, but it it shouldn't be limited to this devotion, right? And it's not limited to the culture, um, yeah, uh, of the people. But it is a grace of God that we had an apparition, and yeah, um, you know, my and family's if you get homeland. A chance, go visit. I'm I hope to this upcoming year get yeah. to go to Mexico to visit the Basilica and. I'll yeah. be I'll be living at the seminary that's that's kind of so related to to this uh so what's up dude? We'll see each other. Come on though. Okay. And um yeah, dude. That's up. Um That was fun. That was I've fun. I've been growing over these past weeks, months, years in devotion to our Lady of Guadalupe a lot. Oh yeah? Yeah. And um I'm really excited for her feast day coming up. Me too. On December twelfth. Make sure you celebrate boom, it. Boom, boom. Little uh little feast day in the middle of Advent, which yeah, is always yeah. fun. Right after the Immaculate Conception too, so it's mm-hmm. kinda like Marian time. Um but yeah, we hope you enjoy this episode. Um get to know our Lady of Guadalupe. She's awesome and uh that's all I have to say. Cool bro. Well, we need to get you out of here before yeah, you like got a meeting that starts right now. And you get fired. It's 20 minutes away. Cool. <laughs> All right. Guys, thank you for tuning into this episode. As always, God bless. <laughs>